Amen. Y'all got your Bible? Turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Chapter 2. Chapter 2. We are going to uh, conclude this mini-series called Built Different. Built Different. I want to preach a message today. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. If somebody's ready, somebody say, yeah. Here we go. It says this. And it came to pass... In the month of Nisan Ultima, you know, Nisans were biblical, did you? In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him. So he was lit. That's what they were saying. The king was, king was just a little turned. That's what, okay, move on. And I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence before. I've read this so many times. But can I just ask you this? Can your boss at work say that they've never seen you sad? Is that a testimony that your coworkers can say about you, that they've never seen you sad, they've never seen you discouraged? He said, the king, in all my years of working for the king, he had never seen me sad. Therefore, the king said to me, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city where the place of my father's tombs lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then he said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah so to the city of my father's tomb that I may rebuild it. I want to mention here, if just in case I forget to preach it later, it says that when the king asked him what his request was, that he prayed to the God of heaven. A lot of people don't quite catch this because the Bible says to pray without ceasing. You've got to understand when the king asked him what he wanted, he didn't say, hold on one second. Almighty God. I have a moment of favor here. No, 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 no. He had a constant conversation going on with God in his heart. And I bet he more like whispered it. God, help me in this moment. King, you can talk to God all day, every day, and he's always listening and he will always respond. Verse 11 says this, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent well in the refuge gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down and its gates, which were burned with fire. Father God, we are grateful. God, when we look back over our lives, God, how you've kept us, how you've rescued us, how you've healed us, how you've sustained us, how you've taken us to more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine, God, we are grateful. But we know just by the simple fact that we're breathing that there is more that you have for us. So God, we collectively say, have your way in our lives. Speak to us in this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. Come on, BWI, that was weak. Somebody shout amen. amen. And amen and amen. I, uh, I, I mentioned uh, last week uh, that I have led my wife into a nomadic life. 
meaning we don't stay in one place long. We'll, we'll buy a house, we'll renovate it, we'll move to the next, we'll buy, renovate, and move to the next. We've lived in five places in nine years. And after last week's message, she's like, promise me again that we are not moving. I am done. We're, we're to the point, some of you guys have moved this much, where we just stopped unpacking. We just put the stuff in the box, put the box in the little room that the guests are never supposed to open in the basement, and then when we're ready to move to the next place, open the door. Now, what I did not quite say is uh, we never move to like this pristine, amazing, completely finished place. Uh, I, I, like, I like a project. I like, I like something I could put my fingerprint on. I, I don't want something that somebody else created. I, I want something that I can say, I, I did that. I knocked that wall down. I don't know why I knocked that wall down. I, I don't know what I was going for, but I, I knocked that wall down. The last house that we were in, it was in a, a beautiful house, but it was kind of just segmented. There was walls everywhere. It was probably about 20 years old and kind of that style. And, and, and especially in the kitchen, there was like this super narrow hallway leaving, leading up to the kitchen. And, and we wanted to knock the wall down. The only problem with knocking the wall down in the kitchen is that wall had all of our pantry and all our cabinets. So if we knocked that wall down, we would lose the kids' cereal aisle and all this other good stuff. And you got to have a place to put the cereal. And the only other place we could figure out of where to put all the food was like down a hallway here. And it's just like, it just doesn't work. So we're in this house probably about three, four months or something like that. And Pastor Jimmy comes by. And if y'all don't know Pastor Jimmy, not only is he a phenomenal preacher, but if, if the whole preaching thing don't work out, he could just be an interior designer. I mean, the guy just got an eye for stuff, like to the point where I'll bring him to my house and I'll say, okay, what should I do? <laughs> I'm not even going to hire an interior designer. You just tell me, how do I fix this? And he comes in. And I'm like, man, I, I want to knock this wall down. I just, I just have nowhere to put the pantry. And he didn't even flinch. He said, you understand that they have islands that have enough cabinets in the island to be your pantry. Like knock the wall down, bring the island out here, put the cabinets here, and then all your food can go in. And it was just like, this might be an insecurity thing. You ever been around people that they just make you feel slow? Like the ease at which they grab a solution. You're just kind of like angry at God. Why did you not give me the intellect to see? I mean, it was that simple. But here's what happened. It took somebody who was disconnected from the situation, who could see it with fresh eyes, who could see something in it that the person that was staring at it every single day couldn't see. In our passage in Nehemiah chapter 2, I, I might preach this like four times a year. I haven't like kept a tally or track or whatever it may be. But this is one of my favorite passages in scripture because I'm just a builder. I love building things. If you're going to come to this church, if you're going to get around me, if you're going to be my friend, let's just be clear. You're going to be building something if you're around me, okay? You, you might be building your finances, building your marriage, building your faith, but you just can't be around me and be stagnant. Somebody say, I'm not interested in being stagnant anyway. I am. I am. I'm just, it's just, I'm a builder. And Nehemiah, the Bible says that he was, he was in captivity, that he was a cupbearer to the king, which, which, which may sound like a great job, but let me explain to you what a cupbearer's job was. A king was always susceptible to assassination. And one of the best choices for murder 
back then was poison. So they had somebody who would taste everything the king ate before the king ate it. And there'd be this pregnant pause. So they would come, they'd put the meal in front of the king. And then Nehemiah would come and, and, and he would take a sip of the wine and the whole hall would go silent. <gasps> waiting for him to croak. And if he didn't fall over and die, the king said, okay, it's time to eat. Dinner is served. Come on, that's a stressful job, huh? So here he was in captivity serving the king, but his heart was broken over the home that he had left. You see, Israel had turned their back on God. And, and when we turn our backs on God, you got to understand, God doesn't punish you. He doesn't come after you. He doesn't have to because life is punishing enough. All he does is take a step back and say, okay, fine. If you're all big and bad, you, you go do what you do. Israel was overcome. The enemy burned their gates, burned their wall to the ground. And the only people they left in this city were the feeble, the elderly, the young, those who could not defend themselves. And here is Nehemiah in a king's palace, but heartbroken over the destruction of his home. You heard the story, I'm not going to reiterate it, but it said that he went to the king and said, hey, can you send me back? And that's a whole nother message and a whole nother day. God will put you in front of people that'll fund your dream. The king said, I'll send you back. I'll send you back with a letter and I'll send you back with all the resources that you need to build what God has placed on your heart. So often when we look at a dream, we begin to do calculations of I can't do this and I can't do that because I don't have the education or I don't have the money or I don't have the resources. If God needed you to bring the money to the table, he wouldn't have put it on your heart in the first place. He said, I'm just looking for somebody that has enough faith to say, here am I, use me, and then I I will send the resources. So here is Nehemiah and he goes back with all these resources. And the Bible says that he didn't tell anybody why he was there. He woke up in the middle of the night, got a few friends and began to walk around the wall to examine the destruction to see how are we going to rebuild this structure. Here's the thought that crossed my mind. You have Nehemiah who's living miles away that was not looking at these destroyed walls every day, but yet it broke his heart that his city was in ruins. And then you had an entire nation of people that lived within those ruined cities that walked in and out of those burned down gates every single day and it didn't seem to bother them. Not one of them said, look at the destruction. I can't live like this. Not one of them cried out to God and said, God, we know that you're faithful. Will you help us? Re they accepted the destruction as their reality. I don't know if you know, because I haven't given you point number one yet, but I'm preaching already. Y'all with me? Here, here's my question. What destruction in my life? Have I accepted as normal because it's all I've known? What destruction in my relationships? What destruction in my finances? What, what destruction in my influence? What destruction in my faith? 
Do I walk in? I walk in and out of the gates of fear every single day, and I just accept it because everybody I know deals with the same level of fear. I walk in and out of the gates of anxiety or depression or insecurity or whatever it may be, and I accept it as my reality. Because my cousin walks through the same gates and my dad walked through this. Everybody in my family has lived this way. And I said, what is it about Nehemiah that he was able to see something that an entire nation wasn't able to see? First thing is this, write this down, write this down. I need to spend time with the king. I need to spend time with the king. So I'm looking at this. Here's the only difference between Nehemiah and the people who accepted the destruction of their city. Both were slaves. Both were in captivity. But one was in the presence of a king and one wasn't. Every day that Nehemiah woke up, he woke up in a king's palace. The conversations that Nehemiah heard were the conversations of kings. The excellence that Nehemiah saw was the excellence of kings. The, the, the instructions and the decisions and the meetings that Nehemiah was privy to were not meetings of the incapted. It was meetings of kings. And because Nehemiah was around a king, he began to see like a king. He began to think like a king. He began to talk like a king. He began to dream like a king. If the situation I'm looking at seems hopeless and I can't see a way out, it's because I have the mindset of captivity instead of the mindset of royalty. If I'm looking at this marriage and I don't see any way that it could get any better. I may be free in my body, but I'm captive in my mind. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says the God of this age. Whenever you see the God of this age, little g, it's talking about Satan. It says Satan, watch this, has blinded the minds of those who don't have faith so that they couldn't see the light of the gospel that reveals Christ's glory. Christ is the image of God. Here, here's what Paul said. He said, you've got to understand this, that those that live on this earth, that the enemy has taken their ability to see the hope of God in every single area of their life. So they may look at their health and look at the doctor's report and all they see is in the natural that there is no cure. Put your affairs in order. And they don't have the spiritual eyes to see that before there was a doctor's report, there was blood that was spilt on a cross, not just for my salvation, but for my healing. That, that, that I can look at this marriage that, that looks like just two people passing in the wind and not understand that the God that we serve said, I'm a God that takes hearts of stone and turns them back to flesh. I was in Union College this week teaching our students and we were saying that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just for your salvation, it was for your total freedom. The Bible says that they pierced him in the side and out came blood and water. A lot of people don't know this. Jesus didn't die of suffocation. He didn't die of starvation. He died of a broken heart. 
The only reason that blood and water would come out of your heart is if your heart had ruptured. Some of us have been through trauma, through setbacks, where we said, I will never recover from that. It's because the enemy has blinded you, not knowing that Jesus broke the curse of a broken heart on the cross so that anything that has been broken by life could be made whole. There's a passage in Acts chapter 4. Where, where, where they grab Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, and they are creating a ruckus in their city. They're, they're, they're healing people. They're preaching the gospel. Thousands are flocking to them, and they begin to investigate. They're interrogating Peter, and the questions that they asked Peter was hilarious. To Peter, where did you go to college? I didn't go to college. You didn't go to college? No, 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 I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go to college. Started working as soon as I got out of high school. Okay, what does your father do? Oh, uh, he owns a little fishing shop. Father's a fisherman? You got a rich uncle? No, no, all my uncles are broke. I don't got, I don't, I don't got. They were confused because based on the influence that the disciples were having, they assume they must have come from money. They must have come from means. They must have come from influence. They must have come from education. It's actually an insult. They said, these men are simple. If they were down south, they would be like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> They're like, they ain't that bright. Here's what it said in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they realized that they were uneducated and untrained, says they marveled. They said, here's the only thing we could figure out about them. They had spent time with the king. There is something about getting around a king that just changes your perspective. You begin to see things that you've never seen before. And I dare say that you need to get away from people that have your problem. We're building, we're building, we're building. Are we building? Do you want to move forward or do you just want to feel better? Because if you just want to feel better for today, you can find people that have the same problem that you have. They're just as broke as you are. They're just as angry as you are. Their marriage is just as miserable as you are. And you can complain about your spouse and then they'll complain about their spouse. You can complain about your boss and then they'll complain about their boss. You can trash people and all that other good stuff. And he'll make you feel better until you wake up in the morning. And you realize I'm in the same spot I was when I went to bed last night. Or you can get around people that have your solution. Here's the problem with people that have your solution. If you don't deal with your insecurity, you will feel inferior in that room. I remember I've been pastoring for 12 years now. And the first like three years were amazing. Church grew by 100 people every single year. But from year three to year five, y'all, this thing would not grow to save my life. Like, I preached the best message of my life. Fifteen people got saved. Fifteen people got offended and left. <laughs> Somebody say, that's bad math. 
I preached the worst message of my life. 15 people got saved. 15 people said, this kid can't lead me, and they left. For three years, I mean, I can't explain to you how discouraged I was. I began to have thoughts of maybe this is all I have to offer. Maybe, maybe it's pretty sad when you're 28 and you think you've hit your peak. <laughs> it's just, and I didn't realize at the time that God will always do something in you before he does something through you. And we're looking for exterior results. And God says, no, there's a heart issue I got to deal with. There's an insecurity issue I got to deal with. There's a confidence issue. You'll see the outward example in a moment, but let's deal with some heart stuff. Long story short, at the end of that two-year deal, I got invited to a round table, a group of pastors that were going to sit down for two days and talk about how to grow churches. I went in that room. I was the youngest person in the room by at least seven years. I had the smallest church in the room by at least 2,000 people. (laughs) The guy who was leading the church, if I told you his church was 18 times larger than my church, it it was, I mean, tens of thousands. Talk about small fish in the ocean. And y'all, I was so insecure. I said, I, two days, I did not say one word. They said, do you have any questions? Do you understand what we're talking about? You ever been in a room where they're answering questions that you're not even smart enough to ask? But I came into that room with eight pages of notes. I could pull it up on my computer right now because I still have them. And for the next five years, I just began to implement what I received in that room. And guess what? We weren't stalled anymore. We grew just a little bit, then a little bit more, then a little bit more. Then you next thing you know, this thing exploded. Why? Because I got around kings. I got around people that my biggest problem was their Tuesday and they weren't even worried about it. But what it took was a small swallowing of pride and saying, I don't mind being the smallest person in this. Some of us want to be a big fish in a small pond instead of a small fish in a big ocean. So go to that marriage connect group. But we're going to have the worst marriage in there, maybe. Not likely. But what does it matter? How desperate are you to rebuild the ruins? Or how desperate are you to maintain the perception? Second thing is write this down. Write this down. Examine the fall. So here's, here's what today's message is. Where do I begin? If I'm going to rebuild my finances, if I'm going to rebuild my faith, if I'm going to rebuild my marriage, if if I'm going to build my business or what, where do I start? Because let's be real, this can be complicated. One One of the annoying things about people who do what I do is we try to act like the biggest problems in people's lives have simple solutions. You got a bad marriage? Trust Jesus. That's all you got? Because you don't know this joker. How many people know that it could be complicated? 
It's like, where, where do I begin? Where do I start? Here's your starting point. Examine the fall. The Bible says that Nehemiah, that when he came to rebuild the wall, he had all the resources that he needed. He had a letter from the king, watch this, and he told no one. Not only did he tell anybody, but he woke up in the middle of the night just so that nobody could see what he was doing. Can I, can I, can I make it 2022? He did not post on Instagram. The rebuild is coming. Stay tuned. Dot, dot, dot. Throw some music behind it. Camera shot, camera shot, swipe away. Got all Israel. What's the rebuild? What's the rebuild? I got to stay tuned. He's going to do IG Live on Monday and let us know what he's getting ready to build. No, 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 no. Nehemiah said, I have to protect this vision. Because if I share it with the wrong person before I'm convinced it can actually happen, their doubt will kill my faith. What do you do when you have a brand new baby? You leave that baby in the hospital for at least three days. Because there's nasty people out there who don't wash their hands. Come on now. And then you ain't going to touch my baby, little dirty hands. And then what happens when you, when you bring the baby home? You've created a space just for that baby. There's no more, I was in the neighborhood, can I stop by? No. Leave the food at the door. Thank you. We will see you in 12 weeks. Why? Because I've got something with amazing potential. But it's in a fragile state. And if I introduce things to this baby that it is not yet mature enough to handle, it may not kill the baby, but it will stunt its growth. Some of you have introduced the dreams of your heart to people that have not washed their faith and they're pouring all their doubt and their insecurities and their fears and their problems and their experiences on it. And God is saying, yes, I gave it to you, but you need it. That's what Joseph did. Joseph went to his brothers and said, I'm going to rule you. Too soon. Yeah, it's from God, but it's not for Instagram. Keep it. So Nehemiah said, before I tell anybody, let me examine the situation. He began to walk around the walls. And yeah, yeah, the gate is burnt, but not every gate is burnt the same. Some I could still use the hinges because the metal is melted. Some the door is fine. It's the frame that's busted. He began. Here, here's what Jesus said to the church. You remember when he wrote to the seven churches? My, my, my favorite is the one when he said, you've forgotten your first love. Because they, they, they could have been pastors, y'all. Like if you read what God said about this church, he said, your integrity, impeccable. Your love for the scripture, uncompromised. Your serving of the community, unparalleled. It's your love for me that you've lost. He said, here's what I need you to do. He said, remember where you used to be and remember your fall. And he said, change your hearts and lives and do the things you did at first. He said, if you don't, 
I'm coming to you. Listen, leave the verse up. There, there's some threats that you don't take seriously. Yeah, like you, can't, you can't back that up. But when God says he's going to snuff out your candle, Pastor, what is the revelation of God snuffing out your candle? I don't know, and I don't want to know. I just don't want to be in a candle. What happened? God snuffed them out. He said, deal with this, or I will move your lampstand from its place if you don't change your hearts and lives. God said, you're doing everything right. You've lost your love. And he said, here's how you find your love. Go back to the place where you first lost it. When I tell you I was a church kid, like, I mean, I can't explain to you I was a church kid. My dad has been a pastor longer than I've been alive. I've said this joke all the time. I've been in church more than Jesus was in church because I showed up to some services and Jesus was not there. And I'm like, why did you leave me there? The, the first year uh, uh, me and Zai were dating, it was New Year's Eve one night, and we had gone to church. We were in church till like 1 o'clock in the morning. And this was back in the day where you went to your church for New Year's Eve service, and then when your service was over, then you got in your car, and you went to the other church that had some big gospel artists, and you went to their church. So we went to that church about till 2 a.m. Then we went to one of those all-night Korean barbecue spots, and we were eating. A tw- I mean, it was amazing. So I was dropping her home at 4 a.m. in the morning. And I, I she, just, you know, this is one of them stories I didn't really think all the way through before. I, I'm going to get in trouble for this one, Jules. It only gets worse because... The next part of the story was we never made it to her house, and that don't sound right. Anyway, when we left the restaurant, I had one request. I said, can you stay awake? She fell asleep. I had just bought a brand new car, too. It was a long story, but I just I had owned a car for 30 days. It's four in the morning. Long story short, I'm going on an off-ramp, and I fall asleep on the ramp. Run off the road into a ditch. Uh, hopefully you've never had this experience. If you've ever ran off the road while you're asleep, you wake up really fast. It's just like, I'm in a ditch. We come back up, car total. So nothing happened that night. God bless you people. Y'all, that was 10 years ago. Do you know every time I drive across that ramp today, I slow down. Zaya is so tired of the story. I said, babe, here's, I know, I know. I fell asleep. That's why you lost your car. I blame her for, I love that car. I didn't know I loved her at the moment, but I loved her car. (laughs) Because you remember the place where you fell. And part of our problem is we can't rebuild because we don't want to acknowledge the fall. We don't want to go back to the place where here's where I stopped trusting in God. But unless you go back there and you're able to figure out, well, why did I, I trusted him with my money. Why didn't I trust him with my heart? 
There's a passage of scripture, I don't have time to read it, but, but the, 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 the prophets in the school of the prophet, they, they were building a new house and they're, they're cutting down trees. And, and one guy, it's a weird story, but it's a Bible story. A guy had borrowed somebody's axe. I don't know why he borrowed somebody's axe, but he borrowed somebody's axe and he's cutting down the tree and the axe head falls off into the river. And he's bugging out because he said, this is not my axe. I've got to return it. And here's what the prophet said. He said, show me where it fell. And he went to the place where the axe head had fallen in the water. Can I, can I preach it? I don't got time to preach it, but can I preach it? And he took a piece of wood representing the cross of Jesus Christ. And he threw it in the water. And steel and metal that does not float floated to the top of that river. I'm not going back to the place where I fell just to feel shame all over or guilt all over or pity all over or woe is me all over. I'm going to the place where I dropped it to throw the cross on top of it and to say I can now return with the power of Almighty God because because of his victory on the cross, everything that the enemy declared a defeat is now a victory in my life. Last thing is this, write this down. Sean, you can come and you can start playing. Because we're going in on time. Write this down. Build the first section. Just build the first section. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 says this. Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. I fast forward in the story. This is after Nehemiah had his plan. Then he went and told everybody, here, we're going to rebuild the city. And they said, we're well able. So Eliashib and his family, they built the sheep gate and they consecrated it and they hung its door. They built as far as the tower of the hundred and consecrated it, then as far as the tower of Hananel. Next to Eliashib, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri built. And as you read on and on and on in Nehemiah chapter three, each family took a section of the wall and they said, we'll build this. And the next family said, no, no, we'll rebuild this. The next family said, we'll rebuild this. Here's why we don't start building those things in our lives that we're not satisfied with. Because it's daunting. It's overwhelming. It's God's blessed me to build churches and a few businesses and different things. And I was having this conversation with my dad. I said, Dad, why is it never easy? Like, I just wish, like, you know, you kind of, you understand kind of grinding when you're young, you're, you're just out of school, and you're like, I gotta, I gotta earn my dues, you know what I mean? Maybe you're 47, and you're just like, I'm tired. I don't, I don't want to climb this mountain again. We've been married for 18 years. I don't feel, stop looking at everything you got to build. And just pick with the one section. Let's start building this. Pastor, we can't agree on money in our marriage. We can't agree on raising the kids. We forget all that. Just start building laughter again. Come on now. Don't, don't, work, don't, what, don't take everything on. You can't fix everything today. 
But don't let the fact that you can't fix everything keep you from not fixing anything. How do I build my faith? Start making Jesus the Lord of the smallest areas of your life. Think about that. I can't yet trust God. I can't trust him with this. I can't trust him with that. Not because he's not good, but because I don't have enough faith. Okay. So this sounds, some of y'all all offended. Because like, I just should trust God at all or not at all. That's not even what God said. He said in Psalm 34 verse 8, taste and see how good the Lord is. Leave the verse up. I'm going to pray right after I finish reading this verse. Do you know that language in the Bible is intentional? Right? If he wanted to say eat it all, he would have said eat it all. If he wanted to say consume all that I have for you, he would have said consume all. Some of y'all like me, you grew up in big families, so you have problems sharing. You ever had your wife say, can I taste your steak? And then she cut that thing in half. You're like, that's not a taste. It's half my food. A taste is this corner. Pray for me. God's still working on me. Here's what God said about your faith. He said, taste. Taste and see how good the Lord is. The one who takes refuge, refuge in him is truly happy. You who are the Lord's holy ones, honor him because those who honor him don't lack a thing. How do I start building a a strong faith? Just taste him in this area. I can't yet trust God in my money, but I'll trust him with my kids. I can't yet trust him with my kids, but I can trust him with my men. Find some. I'll, I'll trust him with my Sunday morning. And just watch how good he is to you in that thing that you've tasted. And then taste them in another area. And another area. And before you, faith is built. It's not just found. And you've got to start somewhere. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. We're thankful, God, that even if we have unrealistic expectations for ourselves, God, you have realistic expectations for us. God, we want to know you like we've never known you before. God, help us to Help us to build. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. I know for all of us, he's saying it's time to build. It's time to build your relationships. It's time to build your finances, your influence, your career. It's time to build your faith again. And it may not be everybody, but every single week there's people at all of our locations and watching online that and maybe you're in the category of the church in Revelations that God was talking about where you, you go to church and you, you have morals and you're doing the right things. You, you've just lost your love for God. Or maybe you've tried to build everything in your life, but, but you've never started by building your faith in God. Hear me. That is the foundation. That is the starting point. 
wherever you find yourself, if you say, Pastor, I, I can't say that I've, I've started with God, I've started with other things, or maybe, maybe you started with God and somehow you just got off track. And, and today really represents welcome home, but not welcome to the church, but welcome to a relationship with God today. That's where you find yourself. You, you can accept him into your life right where you're sitting simply, simply by opening your heart to him. If you say, Pastor, that's me, I, I need a fresh start. I need to make God the foundation of my life right where you are. Pray this prayer with me. Matter of fact, every single person of the sound of my voice, out of encouragement of those, don't make the people that are making this decision feel like them by themselves. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you have more for me than I have for myself. Thank you that it was your cross and your blood that purchased my forgiveness. Today, I accept you into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person?